Holy War Week is upon us. Rich and I will go over the last nine-game win streak of Utah and BYU, talk about our thoughts and our favorite memories. Plus, the Cougars just got their invitation to the Big 12. What are our thoughts about that new inclusion? And, of course, we're going to give our predictions for the upcoming game, and that's all happening right now on The Thatcher Effect. Five, four, three, two. You're listening to The Thatcher Effect with your hosts, Nate Thatcher and Richie Osler. The first Sunday of the NFL season is here, and the excitement continues with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. DraftKings is giving all new customers a can't-miss offer to celebrate the return of the NFL season. Bet just $1 on any football game this weekend and receive $200 in free bets instantly, no matter what. That's right, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving all new customers $200 in free bets instantly when they bet at least $1 on any football game. DraftKings is safe, reliable, and secure, making it easy for you to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code TBPN to receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any week, one game. That's promo code TBPN to get your free $200 in free bets instantly this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, NJIN or PA only, new customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. All right, it is rivalry week. So excited to be here. Big game day tomorrow. Richie, how you feeling? Are you prepped? You feel nervous? Oh, I'm, I'm so excited. I'm a little bit nervous, but I mean, it's a high-pressure game. Who isn't nervous? I mean, I feel like every year when it's UTBYU, no matter who's better, who's worse, it always comes down to some form of a final possession. It's going to be a good one tomorrow, I feel, so I'm going to be super excited. But, of course, it being rivalry week, we want to break down a little bit of Utah-BYU. We asked you Thatcher Effect fans what you guys thought, your favorite memories of the rivalry. We're going to comment some of your comments here on the pod today because we've got some good memories that people brought up. And us talking about Utah, we're, it's, been a, it's been a nice past decade for us against BYU. And we're going to break through all of these games, talk about our favorite memories from each one because I feel like each year just had something different and unique to it, different storylines. Although some of the games weren't as exciting as others, I feel that each of the wins were pretty interesting in their own way. So this, so the streak, current streak that Utah has is they've won nine straight games against BYU. And that dates back all the way to 2010. So uh, for all you kids in middle school, you probably haven't physically seen Utah beat BYU yet, but maybe there will come a day. Um, it's tomorrow's going to be exciting, but like I said, these last games have been just when you go back and you look at these games, you just a lot of memories come back and you just think of all the cool plays that happened. So let's go back to that game in 2010. So this was a game that I felt BYU controlled for the majority of it. Like me and Richard having to go back, we were 10 years old at this time. So these are like the beginning of our, of our years as fans, but BYU was basically in control for three quarters. Uh, it, there wasn't a ton of offense, but at the very, I think the play or the memory that I have the most, BYU's up 13 to three at the beginning of the fourth. Um, and they throw an interception, or sorry, they fumble it actually. 
And on the very next play, Jordan Wynn throws this insane touchdown pass to Devontae Christopher, one of my first loves of Utah football. Man, I miss that guy. But he made an insane catch. And looking back at the film, I just remember how in awe I was of what that catch was like. It, it was insane. And then that wasn't even like the best play of the game because obviously BYU comes back and it's 16 to 14. BYU has a short field goal to win it and Utah blocks it at the end. And everyone's just going nuts. I that That is a game, again, low scoring, but very high intensity because this is the last time that these guys are both in the same conference, which I feel at that point it was – it was a much more heated rivalry because so much more was in stake. Like right now, Utah plays BYU at the beginning of the season. Right now, Utah is in a power five conference and BYU is independent, although that news just changed. And it, it just doesn't feel, I guess, the same way or has the same weight that it used to. So going back to that 2010 game, Richie, what are your thoughts? What was your favorite memory from that game? I mean, I think the obvious answer is the blocked field goal at the end of the game. So I'm looking at, I'm looking at the, the play-by-play breakdown. So um, with four minutes and 24 seconds, Matt Asiata, a Utah legend, um, runs for a three-yard touchdown to put us up 17-16. So that means BYU still has four minutes left. I remember watching this game. I think I was probably nine or 10 watching this game. And I remember being super nervous. I'm like, there's no way Utah's going to win this, especially because BYU is kind of having a good night. Um, and they were having some offensive success. Um, and when it got down to that last field goal, it was just like, okay, I mean, how many, how often do teams really block field goals? It doesn't happen that often. Um, and so when Utah blocked that, when Utah blocked that field goal, it was just, uh, that was sweet music to my eyes. <laughs> I like that. Um, that that was just an insane game. And then everything changes, right? Utah goes into a conference the next year. They go to the Pac-12. Um, and now the game is at the beginning of the year. This has always been, up until Utah joined the Pac-12, a Thanksgiving game, usually a game that decided a championship team for the Mountain West Conference. Now Utah coming in has some familiar faces, basically the same team, but We've got some new ones as well when the Utes go visit Provo in 2011. Among those is John White, the Wolfman. And that was a game that I think when he came out and we really saw his potential as a running back, as well as uh, another key on the offense was Drez Anderson, which it was his freshman year that well that year as well in 2011. Uh, this, way, this game actually included a favorite memory from our boy Harrison Creer on the Utah men's basketball team left a comment yesterday on our Instagram page that his favorite memory has to be the Jake keeps fumble in the end zone, which was one of the first plays of the game. Um, Jake keeps, I, I don't think I've ever seen anything like this. Obviously the snap goes over his head. They're clearly uh, deep in their own part of the field. He goes back to grab it. He tries to throw it again, but the ball goes in the exact opposite direction. I have no idea mathematically or, how that even is possible, but it happened and Utah gets a touchdown off of it. But either way, Utah was only up 14 to 10 at halftime. And then in the second half, things just absolutely blow up. I've never seen, I, I think there's only been one other game where I've seen such a crash from a team and that has to be Oregon when Utah played them in 2015. 
it just seemed like everything was going in Utah's direction, no matter if it was passing plays, running plays, the turnover battle. It just seemed like everyone was at the top of their game and BYU was just falling apart. And I got to say that my favorite memory was, like I said, this is when John White really came into to view and into the picture. And he had these two rushing touchdowns that I saw speed I had not seen before as a kid or rarely had seen before. And I was like, holy crap, that guy's fast. And yeah, you got to remember, John White is like 5'8", five, 5'8". Five, he's tiny. And I just remember he was booking it through BYU's defensive line. And he was a speedster, hence why he got the name nickname the Wolfman. This is a this is a game that's hard to forget as Utah fans because it was just so amazing and so rare. Like I said, these games are usually down to the wire. So what was your favorite memory from that 2011 matchup? This is probably the game I remember most vividly outside of like the most recent games. Um, but I remember we, we had um, rebuilt our house. And so in the basement, we didn't have any furniture. We just had three lawn chairs and it was me, my dad, and one of our neighbors. And, you know, that first half, it was like a pretty good half. Like BYU is, or we, we go into the second half beating BYU 14, 10. And then we score 40 straight points. And I remember after every single touchdown, we would get up from our lawn chairs and we would run around the basement. And I, I don't know if like I can ever have a Utah football moment that that was that is that good unless we win the Pac-12 championship soon. But honestly, that was just so sweet. Um, I feel like that game kind of set the tone for the next couple of years. And, you know, every time you had a conversation with BYU fans, the instant response was 54 to 10. Um and so, I mean, that was that was just a sweet game. That I feel like that game, out of all the winning streak, definitely stands out the most to me. Yeah, that's that's definitely for sure. Like I said, it's such an outlier game. And looking at where I was at that time, I was growing up in Arizona, where all the kids around me were either ASU fans or BYU fans. And I was there was only one other kid at my school that was a Utah fan. And I remember placing a bet. And Richie knows this. I'm terrible at bets, but I remember placing a bet uh, before the game that Utah would win. And I remember feeling kind of unsure. Like I said, it was just really back and forth in the in the decades before that. And I don't think I've ever had a better Monday at school than the week after that. And I think it's so awesome was I, I watched that game basically by myself for the first half. So I was literally like looking around the room trying to see like who understands what's like going on right now. Uh, my parents come back and I just remember my mom and my dad just laughing the entire second half, like what the heck is going on? And that, like you said, that's just a game that's easy to remember because these next few years are, even though Utah wins, it's just, they're rough games. Um, 2012 is another one. The ending of that game is very hard to forget. Um, this is a game that's back up in Salt Lake and it, it's, it seems like Utah has momentum for most of it. It seems like things are going pretty well. They catch them. They, they, they kind of feel for me, they felt like they were in control in the fourth quarter. Um, and then Riley Nelson and that BYU offense just looked poised in that fourth quarter and ready to strike. And they take it down the field and they have a shot at being able to, to basically tie this game and send it into overtime. Now, I remember that 
there were so many, I, I don't think I've also ever seen this in college football. So many re how, how do you say it? Like restarts for a play or do overs for like a, a game winning or game tying play BYU. I can't remember. Was it a pass that like dropped and the game was over? Or was it a missed field goal? So it was a pass and they missed the pass, but it landed inbounds with one second left. So they had a, right. the chance to for a field goal. And it was like a 51-yard field goal. And then they yeah. missed the first field goal. And Utah fans come rushing on the rushing on the field. Um, and then I think they decided it was can, it was that the the they blocked that field goal, and so the yeah, ball was still no, in right. play. And so fans are rushing the field while the players are diving onto the ball. So then they called it an infraction on Utah, gave them a penalty. BYU moves even closer. So now two times Utah has stormed the field thinking the game is over and it's still not. And now BYU has a legit shot at tying this with a decent field goal and it goes off the left post and Utah wins it. I I don't think I've ever seen anything like that again. It was insane. And I don't think any of any fan of the college football world had ever seen anything like that. Such, such an insane ending once again. And Utah now takes a three-win streak going into 2013. 2013, I feel like the last few times in Provo before 2019 were just bland games. I'm going to be honest. They were just bland. It just felt like defense, the defense was showing up, but Utah seemed to kind of be taking their playbook back a little bit, playing generic vanilla type offense saving all the good stuff for conference play. And so it was just frustrating to watch because our defense, that's something that Utah has tradition and you know, they're going to have a good defense every year, but it was just hard to watch the offense, even though we, we took decent leads. This was a game that Utah basically had control of. They ended up winning 20 to 13, but for the most part, it just felt like they were in control, but BYU fans made a big deal because they, they had a drive like a, like a last minute drive to try and get a Hail Mary type touchdown. And I remember on the very last play of the game, uh, they go to throw the ball and the BYU thought it was a pass interference, but I believe the ball was out of bounds. And I just remember every BYU fan making a big deal like, Oh, it was a pass interference and the referees were with Utah in this one. I don't, this is like you said, it's not, like 2011 is an easy game to remember just because it's such an outlier. And this one was just dirty, not really anything cool to remember. Is there anything that sticks out to you from the 2013 one? Um, I think with all the games, there's always like a storyline going on. Even if it isn't in the game, this one had a storyline outside of the game. Um, and to put some context into that, um, athletic director Chris Hill had said that this was going to be the last time Utah plays BYU until 2016. So this is in 2013. And it's like, we're not going to play BYU for three years. So I think this game had like a little bit of extra pressure for the players. It's like, okay, we got to win this one for the next three years because we won't be playing them for a while. Um, so I think that context kind of made it interesting. But like overall, I feel I feel like the game wasn't, I mean, it wasn't a high scoring game. It, it was just kind of an average game. I, like you said, that was also an interesting time when, Chris Hill came out and said that there was going to be a hiatus between Utah and BYU. Again, this is such a staple matchup in the state and in West Coast football, I feel like. And when Utah takes that two-year hiatus with a win, I 
I didn't really miss playing BYU um, because I just think at that point going into 2014 was kind of a turnaround year for Utah when they started getting back into how Utah football is today. Again, that 2012 and 2013, um, those, those two seasons were five and seven seasons for Utah. They're just trying to push themselves into a power five conference and, and levels of recruiting, different gameplay. And 2014 was a year where they're starting to get back to play like Utah and now, now in a power five conference. And they're starting to beat opponents that are, have such, they're, they're just a higher level opponents right now. Utah's beating USC. They're beating UCLA, um, Oregon's. So now this was such this, the next one's a very, very interesting storyline. It was, uh, 2015, a year that Utah started the season off so well. Again, they, they went six and zero, and that included just a thrashing of Oregon in Eugene college game day coming to Utah, Utah beating Cal on game day. They beat ASU for, I just felt like at that time, Utah had never beaten ASU. They never, they never were able to do it. They beat them. Utah's number four in the country, basically halfway through the season. And I'm thinking, holy crap, is this real? Like, this is going to happen. But Utah had the typical November slump. They went down, but they still had a really good season. And there were talks probably two thirds of the way through that, that 2015 season that Utah might play BYU in the Las Vegas bowl. Me as a Utah fan seeing those games, I thought, well, that can't be possible because Utah, I feel was at just a level just above the Las Vegas bowl, because usually the, the teams from the Pac-12 that go to that bowl are probably like the lowest of the bowl game um, invitees. So I was thinking maybe Foster Farms, Holiday Bowl, then it comes down to it and they put Utah and BYU together in the Las Vegas Bowl. My personal opinion, I don't know if this is a hot take or not, I think it was because of TV. I, I honestly think you now have a, a rivalry in a bowl game, so basically two teams from the same state. You never see that as well. And ironically, the very same day, that morning, Utah basketball is playing Duke in Madison Square Garden, also on ESPN. What were your thoughts when you found out that Utah was going to be playing BYU, not not in a regular season game, but in a bowl game? Um, I mean, that was crazy because that's also the first time Utah and BYU have ever played at a neutral site. Um, so I was fortunate enough to be able to go down to Las Vegas and go to that game. And I have to say that was the most fun first quarter of football I've ever experienced. It was so fun. You know, you we're up 35-0. We're like, man, this is this is the easiest game. Why did they even schedule us with BYU? What a, what a waste of a game. Like, you could have just marked up the win. And going into that game, you're also coming off of the win of Utah basketball against Duke, a Duke team that was really good, that had Brandon Ingram and Grayson Allen, and a Utes team that was led by Kuzma and Pirtle. And I think it was after, the year after DeLon Wright had left. So it wasn't like the best U team, but like it was still a good U team. Um, so, I mean, as U fans, we always say great day to be a U, but that was probably the best day to be a U after coming off a, a Madison's Madison square garden win and then beating BYU. And it wasn't pretty one, one quarter was insanely pretty. And the rest of the three quarters was absolute crap. But that one quarter was, I mean, it was a great day to be you. 
There's no doubt about that. And I think the entire sports world knew it as well. It's such a rarity of a day for an athletic program to have two of marquee wins at that time of the season. That first quarter, again, it was one of those moments where you can't do anything but just laugh because it looks like a joke where BYU is literally their only plays on offense or turnovers. And I'm just thinking, you got to be kidding me. This is insane. But Tanner Mangum comes back and they actually put up good numbers. And I felt like Utah was just kind of out of it after that first quarter. They felt like they were kind of lax. Kyle Whittingham has come out since then and saying, yeah, my mindset was also laxed as well. And that's on me as a coach. And since that game, he says, I'm never going to do that again, because again, 35 points in a quarter that, that beat, that was the record for most first quarter points in the Las Vegas bowl ever. You just don't see that type of scoring because again, BYU basically had to turn it over on every possession for Utah to have that many points to start off the game. Again, another crazy one that I think we'll always remember, but 2016 is no different because this time it's back to the opening, the beginning games of the season. BYU's back up in Salt Lake playing Utah, and now you've got a different type of offense. We've had Travis Wilson for basically four years. He's been this leading quarterback, and now we've got a transfer in Troy Williams coming in, and I think he was very well touted. I remember being super high on the guy, mostly because he was in an Adidas commercial that I thought was pretty hype. I mean, you don't really see a lot of guys coming out of high school and being in Adidas commercials. So I was like, okay, yeah, this guy looks pretty legit. And that was such an ugly game for the Utah offense. Uh, That game we had six turnovers, but the highlight is literally the opening play of the game. BYU throws a pick six. And in that moment, I'm like, are you kidding me? It's happening again. But that was basically the only huge highlight for Utah in terms of huge yardage momentum type plays. And BYU seems to control the game. Utah has an insane killer drive um, to go up 22-13. It's looking really good for Utah. BYU drives down the field and scores. And it's 20-19 to now. This is Kalani Sataki's first year as a head coach. So this is also new in the rivalry, another storyline. This is a former Utah defensive coordinator who's worked with Kyle Whittingham and now is coaching against him in this rivalry game. And he doesn't want to go to overtime. And I remember the shock, the disbelief, the nervousness I had when I saw when I saw Kalani say, we're going for two. And Taysom Hill is staying out in the field. Again, when you think about it, a two-point conversion is less than five yards away from the goal line. So it, basically, you're thinking it's very hard to stop a two-point conversion. You ha- but again, a de- the defense can spread out over the end zone. So if you do a pass play, it's hard, but also... It's in that little bit of a rough spot where you're just you're you're really taking a risk. What are your thoughts when BYU was lining up to go for two in that 2016 game? I was pretty scared. Um, I mean, it, it it was a decent BYU team, and I was honestly super surprised that Kalani Sataki in his first year as head coach was willing to take that risk because, I mean, overtime is obviously a little bit less risky. And BYU has had success in overtime in the past. And, I mean, I mean, with the way that the Utah offense was trending, I don't know how well we were going to do in overtime. So the fact that they went for two, I'm sure that haunts Kalani Sataki to this day. I'm sure he's like, man, we should have just kicked that PAT and went to overtime. We would have we beat them. Um, but, I mean, 
a win's a win. That was one of those ones where you're like, it's not pretty, but I'll take it. Yeah, that's a perfect explanation. I do have to say, though, that after that game, I think that's when BYU knew they were going in a different direction than what they were doing under Bronco Mendenhall because Bronco Mendenhall was kind of like the safe bet coach. You always had an eight or nine win season with him, but Kalani's something different. I, I really like the energy that he puts into this program, and he, he knew it from day one that he wanted to do something different and take this program further, and obviously he wanted to take some risks. And I think even if they didn't convert that two-point conversion, speaking if I was a BYU fan, I, I, I got to respect that because not a lot of coaches, I think, like Bronco would do that before. And to do that in your first game against Utah on the road, that, that's pretty ballsy. And, and he, he's able to pull it off. Uh, or he's not, he's not able to pull it off, but he's able to show BYU fans that, hey, this is what I'm about and this is what we're going to be do, doing going forward. Then you go to 2017. I feel like this is more of a storyline for, for me. It was our, I guess for both of us, it's our homecoming. The, they, they scheduled our, our school homecoming the same night as the BYU-Utah game. And I'm thinking, what Utah high school would honestly put a school dance the same night as the BYU-Utah game? So I did not go. I got a ticket, and I went to the game because I said I'd much rather spend homecoming night watching Utah play BYU than going to a dance. Um, And that game was also very ugly. I felt like it was just exactly like the 2013 game in Provo. Now you have a new quarterback, a young man, Tyler Huntley, who's – basically took over Troy Williams' job when Williams is still with the program. So Whittingham sees this guy as the future quarterback for the program. Zach Moss seems to be a running back that also will stick around for a while, but both of these guys are young. I think the one huge offensive star at this time was Darren Carrington, who was the Oregon transfer. That was very surprising because he was the guy that ruined Utah's season uh, literally just the season before on a last second touchdown against us that took away our chances of going to the Pac-12 championship. Now he's with us, but we know what he's about. And again, BYU has some knowns, right? Mangum's still leading this BYU offense, but he never really found his stride after that miracle touchdown in Nebraska and basically his opening game. So, did you watch this game live, Richie? I can't remember where you were at what when this game. Yeah, was I, I didn't. I didn't bother going to that dance either. I watched the game with my family. Um, I mean, why would why would you go to a dance when you could watch BYU or Utah beat BYU? Um, I thought it was interesting. You said, you know, I mean, Tyler Huntley definitely wasn't the Tyler Huntley we we saw the next couple of years, but he also had an insanely good game. He had a career high three hundred passing yards that game was 27 of 36. He had a career-high 89 yards rushing, and he had a touchdown. Um, and I feel like Tyler Huntley, with the help of the receivers, like Darren Carring- um, Carrington, really, I mean, that's kind of when, I feel like that was the game you knew, like, okay, this is going to be the guy for the next little bit, even if he did have some struggles, um, you know, later in the season. Um, but what stuck out to me that game um, was – Utah's defense, as always. You know, Utah's defense was solid. So to end the third quarter, we're up 13. Um, Late in the fourth quarter, BYU um, scores a touchdown, making it a six-point game. And our defense just was really solid. And we forced a three – we forced three incomplete passes, and we regained possession, and we claimed the victory. Um, 
And I mean, I think a lot of what has been so successful for Utah over the years is our defense. And I feel like it's more evident in any, in the BYU games than in any other game. Um, just looking at so many of these games, like how many games have been decided by turnovers or by, um, you know, just by every type of turnover, by fumbles, by incompletions. And Utah's defense is just, it's carried us so far. Yeah, I absolutely agree. That was that was a night when the offense was working well, except for when they went to the red zone. And that's why I think it was such a close game as it was, is because they just had to kick field goals instead of score touchdowns. Um, but again, Tyler Huntley, I think that's also, that was a game when I saw his running ability take flight as well. You knew he was going to be a really, a really type of a dual threat quarterback. And at that time, running was more of his, his dominant trait as a quarterback than his passing was, but that definitely changed over the next few years. Uh, 2018, another crazy storyline going into this game. Utah has won the Pac-12 South. It's now the end of the year game again. So now this is the final game against BYU. The sad part is, is that both Tyler Huntley and Zach Moss suffered season-ending injuries in, in midseason. And so now you have a backup quarterback in Jason Shelley, and you had kind of a, a dual running back with Armand Shine and TJ Green. TJ Green I really loved because he actually played high school ball with one of my buddies from Arizona. So I remember I was really high on him coming into the program. He was He's a shifty back. And Armand Shine was kind of like a Zach Moss 2.0, just a big, thick dude. Jason Shelley just seemed to step right into his role as QB2, um, turned QB1, and he played fantastic ball um, in those final games for the Utes. It seemed like he, he wasn't really shaken. They, they won games against opponents such as Oregon at home, Colorado on the road. Now you're coming to BYU. But here's where things are different. Now you have a young quarterback in Zach Wilson leading BYU. And they have just an absolutely stellar first half. Utah just did not seem to show up. And, and BYU goes into halftime with a 20-0 to zero lead. Now, me and Richie were both gone serving LDS missions at this time. So we didn't get to see this game live. So I've talked to people about this game that saw it. And mostly BYU fans were thinking at halftime, it's in the bag. We've got this. I can't believe we're going to beat this team. Because again, this is a team that was going to the Pac-12 championship for the first time in its program history. And BYU, again, has not beaten them since 2009. So Richie, have you talked to anyone from people who saw this game at the half, what were their thoughts going into that third quarter? So um, I was on my mission, right? And um, I had one of my companions was super into following BYU sports and on his Facebook, he was following BYU sports. So we went to sleep at about the end of the, at the end of the half. And we saw that out that we were down 20 and 0. And so I was like, oh, crap, I'm just going to go to sleep. I'm not going to worry about it, whatever. You know, I'm on my mission. I'm doing the Lord's work. Who needs to worry about Utah football? Turns out that mentality was the best mentality to have because the next morning we wake up and we see the score. But I remember, like, I just I wasn't super worried about it, you know, because I was just in a different place. But I'm sure if I was home, I would have been freaked out. And I would have been, I would have been, you know, just all nervous, biting my teeth and just, not ready to watch the second half, being down 20-0. And what's crazy, even crazier to me in that game is at the end of the third quarter, 
it was 27 to seven, you know, so there's still a 20 point deficit. And I mean, we all know what happens next. That Utah offense absolutely takes over. And this, I, I really, really wish I could have been in Rice Eccles um, for, the, for the closing of this game because the Utah offense just absolutely dominated, drove down the field. And now it's at a point where Utah's up 28 to 27. And BYU goes for it on fourth, doesn't get it. So Utah has the ball, and basically the game's already in hand. And on the very first play of that drive, it's a read option. Jason Shelley keeps it. He's running it into the end zone with Rice Eccles absolutely booming. And not only that, he stiff arms a BYU defender into the end zone as he walks it in. I like I get chills talking about it, and I wasn't even there live. So I can't even imagine what that game would have been like to have your backup QB and running back keep the streak alive against BYU at home in such an insane environment and an insane game. I, I don't know what I would be thinking as a BYU fan, but Utah fans were just, wow, we escaped one. We're glad about it, but what an ending. 2018 was a crazy year. And sad to say that they, they didn't do well in the postseason in the championship game or in their bowl game, but that was such a, such a capper on that season for all that they were able to do. Because the 2017 season, I, it still had all the same players, but it was their beginning. I think we knew that they would be great in the next few years, but this was that was going to be a year that they had to really progress and grow. It was a, it was a growing year. And 2018 and 19 proved that those players could actually play um, big-time football. So now you go to 2019, and now it's the season opener. So I don't think I've seen this as well. You now have your season-ending game opponent, and now they're, they're your season-opening opponent. You don't see that in Power 5 football usually because – your, your ending game is, is usually your rival in the conference, and then your opening game is probably an FCS or a non-conference opponent. But now it's your rival, and it's two, basically two consecutive games spanning over two seasons. Now you have a senior Tyler Huntley, a senior Zach Moss, with just an absolutely incredible Utah offense. Not only that, the defense, I consider basically an NFL defense. You have guys that were in that defense that year, that in their rookie year, were playing a considerable amount of time for NFL teams. You have, that was just a stellar team. And I think the country knew it, but again, this is an opening game, so you don't really know that much. But this was a game that for most of the time, these, these Utah-BYU matchups over this Utah streak had been very close. So a, basically a one-score game, except for that 54-10 to 10 win in 2011. In 2019, it just seemed that they were also in control once again. And it started on the pick six from Francis Bernard, a former BYU linebacker expelled from the school, goes up to the U and in the returning game to BYU, returns a pick six into the end zone right in front of the BYU student section, the rock and throws up the U. I think another moment I would have had chills in. What an epic beginning to this game. What are your thoughts from that 2019 matchup? I mean, the first half was great. Utah goes in 9-6. And then, like we see so often, the second half was just incredible for Utah. Um, and, I mean, we scored 21 unanswered points. 
led by Zach Moss and Tyler Huntley. That game was, it wasn't like a high pressure game. You know, it didn't feel like the stakes were all there. Um, and I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't have too many thoughts on that. I, I, I watched it. It's, it's a game that makes you happy. Um, it's just, I feel like that game's just kind of overshadowed by what happened the rest of that season for Utah, um, especially at the end of the season. Um, but I mean, that, that one hopefully sets the tone for this next one. Yeah. And again, not only did Francis Bernard have a pick six, but Julian Blackman had a pick six and that made two games in a row because he was the guy who got a pick six in the 2018 game. So again, the defense was absolutely incredible both of those years. And I just wanted to bring up a few more of those comments from favorite memories of the past. Now that we've caught ourselves up. So, uh, Annika Spratling said that her, her favorite, uh, memories or moments is when BYU students wear red to the games. She says it's hard to cheer for a losing team. Well, Annika, we're going to be doing that tomorrow. So I'll update you on how that goes. Carson Singley says going up 35-0 in the first quarter in the Las Vegas bowl was his memory, her favorite memory. I was at that game with Carson. No right. way. <laughs> yeah, that was, well, that was a good now time. We know why, now we know why part of it was his favorite memory was because Richie was there. <laughs> Charlie Kane had two favorite memories. He says he's, it's got to be the pick six streak, which I have to agree is a very good memory. Utah, BYU has turned the ball over 29 times during this streak, and nine of those have been returned for touchdowns, which is, which is pretty insane when you think about it. He also says that the field goal block in 2010 was also his favorite memory. Now, as some people say – you know, I don't really care anymore about this rivalry. Uh, you know, it's it doesn't really mean that much to Utah anymore, which is true because, say, for example, if Utah does lose tomorrow in Provo, that doesn't affect their chances of winning a Pac-12 championship because that doesn't go on their Pac-12 record. Going into tomorrow in this matchup against BYU, do you think it matters? Why or why not? So I, I do think it matters. Um, I mean, I feel like this game is one of those traditions in college football that is so fun that, I mean, really it doesn't mean that much. But if you watch it, you love to watch it and you love to see what's happened over the years between these two programs. You love how much BYU fans hate Utah players and, and vice versa. Um, it's incredibly fun to watch. Um, but I also think that this next year is important because um, at, or this this game this week is important because we take a two-year hiatus after this game. Um, and and then after in 2023, we'll play them again until probably 2028. Um, but right now, we haven't lost to Utah in 4,304 days. And imagine what happens if we beat them on Saturday and then go two years without playing them. We're, we're over 5,000 days easily. That's 5,000 days without Utah losing to BYU. I think that's a whole – that's a win for the entire state of Utah. And honestly, that's a win for the entire nation. So I do think that there are stakes on this game. Um, it might not mean as much to Utah fans and players as it has in the past. But, I mean, it's the holy war. Yeah, it definitely still means something. And actually, ESPN just came out and said that they don't want it to call it the Holy War anymore. So we're going to have to figure out a new name for it. But I, I love that name. I'm going to be honest, even if they do consider our team the unreligious team. Um, th this is a game that basically has the same 2013 implications, right? Because Crystal said that they weren't going to play BYU for a few years. 
we're going to be taking another hiatus because Utah is substituting that BYU game for a Florida home and home matchup, which I think was an excellent part on their scheduling to play an SEC team as much as as good as the BYU game is. Another, again, we've got so many storylines going into this game. Two thirds of this Utah roster has not played in a Holy War. Very interesting. So again, I think they won't really know what it's like until they'll, they'll step into Lavelle Edwards Stadium and really see what that team is like and, and basically what that environment is like. Because if you think about it, a lot of our defensive starters and, and young guys played in front of no fans last year. And, and BYU fans will show up early for this matchup against Utah because, in my opinion, I think it means more generally more to BYU fans than it does to Utah fans now. You have another storyline with Britton Covey, who was able to play in that 2019 game, but he was injured, so he didn't play a lot. So this is his first time, and most likely his last time, playing in Lavelle Edwards Stadium, a stadium he dreamed about playing in growing up because he was a diehard BYU fan. And his house is literally just minutes down the road from the stadium. And now he gets to play against his favorite team growing up. But now he is their rival. His family who has season tickets to BYU will be going to that game, but wearing red. I like, there's just so many different storylines going into this game. And then of course, today with the big news that you, that BYU has now will now join the big 12 as one of the four new teams that will go and replace Texas and Oklahoma. A little off track right here. The Big 12 news is, is very exciting for BYU. You know, whether you hate them or you like them, this was a good move for the program. And I think the athletic department as a whole, it, it now they, ha I think, especially for football, this is going to change the game. I think it's going to up recruiting, obviously up their schedule in terms of difficulty. And I, I think this is just an absolute win for them. And they joined the Big 12 along with UCF, Cincinnati, and Houston, who have also had pretty good seasons throughout this past probably five to ten years to really show that they can play with the big dogs. What do you think of that Big 12 expansion with BYU now joining today? I think it's great for them. Um, as far as the football conference, I don't think that the Big 12 is – I think out of the Power 5 conferences, they might be the lowest. They might be the worst out of the Power 5 conferences. But basketball, they have a serious case to be the best conference. Because BYU is consistently a top 25 team. Baylor's consistently a top one or two team, especially in the last couple of years. And then they got Kansas, Kansas State, um, Texas Tech. I mean, it's a really good basketball conference. Football is kind of a different story, but I think we're going to see that get better. And, I mean, if you're Kalani Sataki, if you're anybody on the BYU football team, this is excellent news. And I feel like it's really going to put BYU more on the football radar. And I mean, they're going to be playing better competition than they have been playing and they'll probably become a better team. So, I mean, I have nothing but praise for BYU. I, I think it's awesome. Really good for them. And I ultimately think it makes the competition between BYU and Utah even more interesting because now you're representing the Pac-12 and the Big 12 and you're representing these two conferences. And as you represent them, I mean, the stakes kind of increase. So I think it's awesome. And I think this looks better for Utah as well when they now they play BYU in the future because now it's not only an independent team that is looked over as kind of like a G5 type of team, but now you're basically pay, playing a Power 5 team in a non-conference game, which will up their resume if they have a good team one year and are trying to make it to the hopefully extended playoff one day. 
So to close it off, we're going to go with predictions for tomorrow's game kicking off at 8.15 p.m. in Lavelle Edwards Stadium on ESPN. I'll go first. Uh, I've been listening to both sides of the story uh, this week. As mentioned before, I have a job at BYU uh, TV Broadcasting, so I'm able to listen to uh, their their show Sports Nation talk about the game. But I'm also a huge fan of Bill Riley on ESPN 700. I'm able to listen to his side of the story and, and just talk about what they feel about going into this game. Looking at, at like stats on paper, Utah should take this one pretty easily. I think they have a really deep team this year. Like Kyle Whittingham has said many times before, this is probably his deepest team he's ever had as a coach at Utah. BYU had a fantastic season last year. And I honestly believe that if Utah played BYU in last year's COVID 2020 season, they would have lost such a great team, a a powerful offense and, and just a great defense, a great group of guys last year for BYU. Now you've got turnover, but it, it, it's, it's not a, a huge amount of turnover, but it's turnover in positions that were very critical for your team last year when you were very good. Most notably in Zach Wilson, who is now the Jets' starting quarterback. You replace him with Jaron Hall, who had a very a very good second half against U of A, but it, it's not Zach Wilson. Again, you, have an, uh, you had to replace some guys on the O-line, and the defensive secondary looked to struggle a lot against U of A. And that's going to be really interesting to see how Utah will play their offense against BYU come tomorrow, because I think that's going to be the key is the Utah offense versus the BYU defense. How much can they take advantage of that secondary and how much are they going to pass? Because I think Kyle Whittingham used Charlie Brewer a lot in that Weber state game more than he was comfortable with. There were a lot of pass plays and it'll be very, very interesting to see how he's going to balance the offense against the Cougars come Saturday. I'm going to say that Utah wins this one by 20. Um, but again, I could very well be surprised because it seems like every year it comes down to a one possession game. But I'm going to say that that Utah wins this one 30 to 10. So that, that's going to be my final prediction. And I'm going to say that the game ball will go to Tavion Thomas. who's probably going to come up as running back number one for the Utes. Richie, what's your prediction? Okay, that's really funny because my prediction is super close to yours. Um, I'm thinking 36-10. And my reasoning is I think BYU had a lot of success in that Arizona game, but I also think that is a really hard game to compare what they're going to be be like. And it's kind of the same situation with Utah versus Weber State. Like how much does that really show of who Utah is? But I do trust a little bit more in Utah and in their program. Um, And I mean, some of the guys that have stuck around, I think are going to make a big, big impact. Um, I think BYU is going to have problems with targeting their receivers. And I think it's going to be hard for Jaron Hall to get his receivers the ball. I do think BYU's run game is going to be successful because I'm pretty high on both of their running backs. I think they're both really good and they both have different skill sets that are going to be useful in this game. Um, So it'll be up to Utah's D line to kind of shut those guys down. Um, Ultimately, I kind of think Utah is going to get into this game by their defense. And then we're going to take over this game with our offense, because that's all, that's just how Utah works is our defense gives us momentum going into the offense, um, whether that's in the form of a turnover or just a really good stop. Um, I think that's what gets our momentum going. And then once our momentum's going, our offense will just kind of click. 
I'm really confident in our experienced quarterback, Charlie Brewer. Um, he's played in high-pressure games. This is just another high-pressure game, and I think he'll do great. Um, I think Utah really wants this win, and, I mean, BYU obviously does too, but I, I'm, I'm taking Utah 36-10, final prediction. I like it. Great minds think alike. And I think Utah is always going to be a safe bet as long as the, the streak keeps going. So we're excited for tomorrow. Like I said, tomorrow, 8.15 Mountain Time, ESPN kickoff in Lavelle Edwards Stadium. Let's see how the Utes do. We're going we're gonna to tell it like it is next, next Friday and see what happens. Uh, until then, thank you, for, thank you for tuning in this week. We'll see you next week, guys. Richie and I would like to thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Thatcher Effect. If you like what you heard, please make sure to subscribe to future episodes and invite your friends and family to join us on the ride on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you'd like to hear more about our episodes, make sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Thatcher Effect Podcast. We'd like to thank Money Wizard for the intro music and the Basketball Podcast Network for hosting us. We'll see you next week.